another episode of Living an Ultra Light. I'm not my corner, but I am your host for today's episode in celebration of Mike completing 52 full episodes of his podcast. So proud of you, babe. Thank you. Who are you again? I'm your wife, Ginny Horner. Oh, wow. I get to be married to you? And interviewed by me. All right, so here we are with Mike Horner and Living an Ultra Life. How many ultras have you run? I have run 41. Saturday will be 42. Okay. How many of those were official at the race with the people ultras? Uh, Let's see. All but, probably all but seven were in-person ultras. How many years have you been running? A total of 11 years now. 11 years running, 41 ultra marathons. I've been running ultras for seven years. I started in 2014. Oh, that's right. You haven't been running ultras the whole time. Okay. Hey, Mike, what was your first official ultra? My first official ultra was the Bighorn Scenic Mountain Run in 2015. Because I know a little bit about that run, would you recommend that one for a starter ultra runner? Talk about how you went into this run, because I know you did a lot of trail running down in Colorado in the Boulder area, and then you signed up for this mountain ultra run. What happened? I crashed and burned. I signed up for this mountain ultra and had run Tongue River Canyon Trail a couple of times, but mainly because I was traveling back and forth from Boulder for the main part of the, the training time, I was running the super highway trails of Boulder and Boulder County. So when I got on the Bighorn Trail, I started basically turning my ankles over from the first mile on in the snow and the mud and... I had regular shoes on. I didn't know there was a difference between trail shoes and road shoes. I thought that shoes were just shoes. And so I just had a regular pair of shoes on. And I slipped off a log into the water at mile three. I should have known from there that was going to be miserable. But I made the first time cut off by like 10 minutes, grabbed some stuff out of my pack, went up the wall of death. That just about killed me. That was just the most miserable thing I'd ever done in my life. Made it to the hill above cow camp, and somebody came up behind me and said, dude, you're like the last person on the trail. So I thought, oh my God, I got to hurry. So I started running as fast as I possibly could, took my eye off the trail, hit a rock or root or something and did a Superman fly, landed on my chest, everything just went scattering, ended up hitting a rock with my head, and I got to dry fork and I missed the time cut off there by five minutes. And it was the most defeated I have ever felt in my entire life because I thought, I can't do this. I didn't even... I didn't finish this race. Yeah, so it was was not a great first experience, but I look back on it and I know what I did wrong. 
You learned a lot on that one. I do remember the recovery from that DNF being a long psychological trip. Yeah. Some things we learned on that were there's no cell coverage. <laughs> there may be spotty cell <laughs> coverage here and there. That made finding you at the end more exciting. Because you you thought I'd been pulled at Sally's footbridge and you were trying to figure out how to find me. And so you had left Dry Fork. Yep. And so I just started walking down the road. And fortunately, somebody stopped and said, hey, jump in the back of my truck. I'll give you a ride down to Scott Park in Dayton. Otherwise, I'd probably still be walking on the road lost in the mountains because I had no clue where to go from there. I'd never been to that point. And you didn't know where I was because there was just there's no timing belt at that race. And it's very typical of mountain ultras and it's very stressful on the cruise because you don't know where your runner is. And so you're just kind of relying on well, I think he's going to get here at this time. And, yeah. In that one in particular, yeah. there's very limited crew access. So that was your first one. Yep. And then what happened after that? I decided that I was capable. And so I heard about this 50K, Antelope Butte 50K at the ski area. That's right. And so just on a whim, I signed up like the day before. And I just drove up to Antelope Butte, got there the morning of. Didn't know where I was supposed to be running, had no clue about the trail, anything. They just said, there's white markers, just look for those and that's where you go. And uh, I finished that run. I wasn't DFL on that one either. So, I mean, that was that was a confidence boost for me to be able to go out and finish that 50K. And I'm, it's that's a hard one. Is I don't know how tough it is physically, but I know mentally... That running out, coming back to all the beer trucks and the music playing and the people Smell hanging the out in their food. tents and all you have all the wonderful food. And then you have to go back and do the same amount again. I yeah. don't know how you do it. That is a tough one mentally, but yeah. And that was back when I didn't know how to eat during ultras. And so I don't even know how I'm surviving because I'm trying to do this all on gels. And I think I had some lemon drops or something. It was just the stupidest nutrition. Of course, then I get done with it and my body's so racked at the end of it that the food looked really good. Yeah. And I tried to buy it and then I had to, you know, go find some place to, uh, be private. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. What would you say is your favorite ultra? My favorite that I've run so far? Yeah. Uh, the Tommy Knocker 12-hour race down in Colorado has been my favorite ultra. And that was another one that I wouldn't think it would be favorite because I spent the last hour puking my guts out. But absolute favorite one because that's when I realized... I could do hard stuff. I could do it and finish it well. That was a huge confidence booster for me because I'd had a string of DNFs that was longer than my arm. So yeah, that's my that's been my favorite so far. Second favorite would be JFK 50 miler last year because that also was a big proof to me that I could do really, really hard stuff. And then my third favorite was this year's uh, Cape Fear 24-hour. So you've talked about a couple timed races and a couple distance races. Yeah. Which would you say is your preference? 
this is going to sound weird to ultra runners, but I really liked the timed races better than the distance races because the timed race, there's no pressure in timed races for me to miss a cutoff. It's like you eliminate that stress and I just run free and easy in these timed races and end up plowing up some amazing amounts of miles. Distance races, it's like all of a sudden you put this stressor on me that, hey, you've got to do it in this amount of time. And it's like, and so you start with the stress. And so it's a mental thing that I haven't overcome, but I'll be overcoming that in 2022. So Awesome. Tell me a little bit about what you've run recently and about what's coming up. So recently I did a 13-hour timed race that was a lot of fun. It was a night race. I actually ran the Nolan Trail 50K the week after I'd run the Cape Fear 24-hour, and I actually did my personal best in a 50K and ran a 50K in 6 hours and 23 minutes. For me, that is a fast, fast 50K. So that's kind of been the recent running. I have a 8-hour race coming up, followed by, I was supposed to run the 100K Dismal Swamp, and I just was picturing 62 miles of pounding feet at Dismal Swamp, which is straight and on asphalt. Back and and forth, back and forth. Yeah, back and forth. You go three miles out and three miles back, and I was like, nah, that's just insanity. That's not my style race. So I've dropped down to the 50K for that, and then I'm going to end the season with the 50K Seashore State Park, kind of on the super highway of trails. It's not anything really technical, so that'll be a fun one. I'm looking forward to next year. I've got another one of Karen Sanzo's race. It's just a training run, eight-hour race at Sandy Bottom in January. And then my target races come up after that because I've got Blackbeard's Revenge 100 running from Corolla to Hatteras. And then a really fun one I've always wanted to do, the Last Man Standing in May. Yeah, we'll see. I think think I'll do pretty well on that. We're going to head back out to Colorado in the Human Potential Running Series and run the Sanger de Crista 200. So that's my 2022 year. I'm only signed up for four races right now. We'll see. We know that's going to change. (laughs) Well, Mike, thank you so much for your time today. I appreciate you sharing about your ultra running. Did you have anything else you'd like to share before we finish this up? Well, I I think I'd just like to kind of encourage people to go out and sign up for these hard races, knowing that they're going to be hard, but knowing that, you know what, everybody else is doing all the easy stuff, so do the hard stuff. And then for a podcast type of purpose for living an ultra life in 2022, we're going to be doing a lot of these type of interviews. I think that it's really important to be bringing other voices to the table, people that are out there doing amazing things. And so living an ultra life isn't going to change. We're still going to have the 15 to 20 minute telling you that you can because it's a message of living an ultra life. But I really want to bring some other voices to the table and we've got some exciting ones lined up. So 2022 is going to be an awesome year. I'm looking forward to season two of living an ultra life. I got to say, I'm so proud of you for finishing one complete year of podcasts without a break and go team. Well, I owe it all to my favorite editor who has to put all my words and then try to make them make sense and take out my uhs and ums and 
all my stops and starts. And well, in so. editing something, we'll be learning more about this year to make all of these podcasts sound even better for you guys, and we really appreciate you listening. That's it today for this episode of Living an Ultra Life.